The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Let us pray. O God, you form the minds of your faithful people into a single will. Make us love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the many changes of this world, our hearts may ever yearn for the lasting joys of heaven. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-10. through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious, you also, like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood in order to bring spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it says in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will certainly not be put to shame. Therefore, for you who believe, this is an honor. But for those who do not believe, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone over which they stumble and a rock over which they fall. Because they continue to disobey the word, they stumble over it. And that is the consequence appointed for them. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people who are God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. At one time you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. At one time you were not shown mercy, but now you have been shown mercy. This is the word of our Lord. There's a great mystery that's actually resolved in the text itself in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But you, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So the big question is, when Jesus says in verse 18, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it, what is the rock he's talking about? For the name Peter comes from the Greek word for rock. Many people claim that it was actually saying, I'm going to build my church on Peter. Peter died. So they say, well... In apostolic succession, it's an office of those who follow after Peter. But that's not how Jesus says it. And Peter in our text makes it very clear who Jesus builds his church on. That's stated in verses 4 through 8. While coming towards Jesus Christ, who is the ever-living stone that is hand-picked and precious in God's eyes, and yet men have examined and rejected it as worthless. And so you yourselves are like ever-living stones being constructed into a spiritual house resulting in a royal priesthood, offering up spiritual sacrifices that are very acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Because 
Of this, the concept is contained in Scripture that I set in Zion a cornerstone that is handpicked and precious, and the one whose faith is set upon him will never be put to shame. Therefore, the honor is for you who are believers, but for those who do not believe, the very stone which the builders rejected has become the chief stone, and also a stone that causes one to stumble and a rock to act as a snare. They themselves stumble by being disobedient to the word, and so they have been laid into this. Did you guess? who the rock is that Jesus is going to build his church upon. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 16 again, And I tell you that you are Peter, Petros in the Greek, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. That Greek word for Peter, Petros, we could translate in English today, rocky. But that word for rock, that's a bedrock That doesn't translate as rocky. That is foundation stone. Well, Peter tells us in our text who is the foundation of the church. It's Jesus Christ. And a beautiful picture is given just in that stone. You see, if you were going to build a stone building, you would pick out a stone that had two 90-degree angles that came together. And you'd pick out a big one because from that you would set your walls. Now, God had told the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, that they would be his people. They were meant to be his people by faith and by blood. But, as we saw in Mount Sinai in chapter 19 of Exodus, God made a deal with them as a nation. You as a nation, generation after generation, follow my commandments, and I will keep you as a sovereign nation. They said it's a deal, but they screwed it up over and over. Very few generations were as a whole faithful to the Lord. And God sent the Babylonians and then the Persians and then the Romans. And then God finally took on human flesh and became the stone. See, what really makes us the church is faith in Christ as the foundation stone. And so the Jewish people who believed in Jesus are one angle, and the Gentiles who didn't know about salvation in Christ until God sent a messenger who didn't have any blood of Abraham in them are the other angle that come together to form the walls that are the church of Christ. Now another picture is given there in that cornerstone that brings two walls together. You see, God's law tells you you're damned. Because it tells you this is holiness. And if you slip from holiness just once, you have to be 100% holy 100% of the time, then you're unholy and you're going to hell. It can't empower you. It can't even forgive you. All it can do is call the shots. But then there's the other angle where God says, I love you and I've made you my child. That's the gospel. He made you his child through Jesus Christ. So it's in Jesus that the two walls meet. And we are told that he is the living stone and you are a stone built on top of him. This is the true temple of the Lord. It began when God promised Adam and Eve, pointing them right to the foundation stone, that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. And they believed in that, so God made them the first two stones to be built upon Jesus Christ. And they're still alive. Their bodies may have decomposed and blown into the wind for centuries ago, but they're still alive, forming the invisible temple of our Lord. Now, you are alive in Christ because you are connected to him and built upon him. 
A chosen stone in Zion. Zion was where the temple was, but the temple was a representation of Christ and God's true temple that is ever living and eternal. And so you do good works because you're connected to Christ. Allow me to remind you of the imagery that John uses in his gospel when Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Being connected to Christ in a mysterious union, or in this case, as the living temple, as a living stone means you do good works. And there's going to be more on that in a minute as we get into the priesthood. But the honor is yours. Christ's righteousness has been given to you. He gives you the gifts to serve and you form his beautiful temple. So when people look at the temple, they say, how beautiful that is, and it's everlasting. Now, there are those who looked at that 90-degree angle, that foundation stone, the one who purchased it when you, and they said, no, I don't want that. In Jesus' time, the Sadducees, who were many of the high priests, they were too busy embracing the popular philosophy and science of their day. Oh, there can't be a resurrection and all of that. Science doesn't prove that. They went for something else, didn't they? The Pharisee thought he was saved by acting holy enough. He turned to his own works. But you see, unless Christ is there to wash your sins off of even what you think are good works then they're filthy and they condemn you. And so it is that those who trust in something other than Jesus Christ, they throw the stone away and they turn around and trip right on it. It becomes a trap that ensnares them. Peter actually paints the picture of a building in their case by telling us they themselves stumble by being disobedient to the word and so they have been laid into this. It's not that God predestined them to stumble. God wants all men to be saved. And God has made it clear everyone who trusts in Christ is saved. It's because they've rejected Christ. This happens in this life, especially a good example is Judas, who every day as a disciple got to hear God's grace and was privileged to share it, but he hardened his heart against it. Hardened it because he loved money more than the Lord. There is a point where God will tell somebody who continually rejects Christ over and over again, fine, Have it your way from now on when you hear the good news of salvation in Christ, it will only harden your heart more. He gives them what they want. The ultimate result is Jesus, who is meant to be their savior, becomes the judge who says, I offered you salvation and you hated it. It's like a snare for them then, a huge boulder that lands upon them and crushes them. But you're that living temple built on the ever-living stone that is Christ, so you are ever alive into all eternity. This is the invisible church made up of all believers, and there's a neat picture because you're alive, you're never going to die, you do things, and for example, when the devil comes and tries to shake the building, if an earthquake hits a building made out of dead material, that dead material shifts, but it can't shift back into place, can it? And the building can come tumbling down. But you're built on the living stone who gives you life. You're not dead material. You are alive. And so the building adjusts and thrives. So the great mystery is, who is the church built on? And looking back at Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, You are Petros, rocky, and on this foundation stone, Petra. What he's pointing to isn't Peter himself, but the confession Peter had given back in verse 16. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And so we see that everything is built on Christ. God made you into his temple and priesthood. You are living stones on the living stone. And because you're connected to him, I mentioned you do works. We are a priesthood. So we arrive at the second part of our sermon. You are priests through the high priest. Verse 5 said, And so you yourselves are like ever-living stones being constructed into a spiritual house, resulting in a royal priesthood offering up spiritual sacrifices that are very acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I already brought up when, when we do good works that benefit our fellow man, if you will, we still have a sinful nature right there with us. If our sinful nature agrees to do something good, it has sinful reasons. But through Jesus Christ, Jesus washes the sin off with his blood. You're connected to him in that mysterious union. So his sap flows through you. So it's through Christ that you can do good works. Nobody else can do a good work in God's eyes because everything they do is tainted by sin and it's not acceptable to him. It stinks and he can't stand it. But as a priest, you do, and you don't do them in order to be saved. You're already saved. You're on the living stone of Christ. So you offer up spiritual sacrifices. How do you offer up spiritual sacrifices? Well, that's one of the things we think of at the temple with priests is people would bring their animal in, and the priest would take that animal when all the preparations had been made, and he would put it on the altar of the Lord. Your life is a sacrifice to Christ. Now, because it's Mother's Day, allow me to use an example. When the mother gets up at three o'clock in the morning and she's exhausted to take care of the baby that God has entrusted to her care, she's offering a sacrifice of her sleep, not just to the baby, but because she's God's daughter. She's a priest. And I want to tell you, fathers, when you get up at three in the morning and say, honey, you need to sleep tonight, you're also offering a sacrifice. My mother offered sacrifices, raising me up, taking the time, often not only to teach me at home, but to actually be my Sunday school teacher. Helping me with my homework when she wasn't my teacher. You offer up spiritual sacrifices. You have spiritual and natural gifts that God has given you, and you use those to serve the Lord when you're called upon to use those, but you also use them in the secular work environment, and then you take a portion of what you've earned from your paycheck, and you offer that as a sacrifice. But the greatest sacrifice God wants is a broken and contrite heart, a priest who comes to the Lord and says, Lord, forgive me, and the Lord says, I have forgiven you, usually through another brother or sister in Christ, another priest. We give up of our time, our talents, and of course our treasures as spiritual sacrifices. Now, we're told that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, secured into a possession, so that you may proclaim everywhere the all-surpassing goodness of God, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, who used to not be people, but now are God's people, who having been shown no mercy, but now were shown mercy. Now, let's go back to that Matthew text in which Peter makes the confession that Jesus is the Christ. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter... Rocky, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There are those who claim that Peter was given the keys. The you there is plural. 
There are those who claim that it was given to the office of some kind of public ministry like the pastoral ministry. But it was given to believers. You as a priest have this. When a person came to the temple to offer their sacrifice, most of the sacrifices were for sin. And the priest would take the blood of that animal and dip a plant of hyssop into it, and then he'd splatter that blood on those people. He would be God's messenger telling them, because of the coming Lamb of God, that their sins were forgiven. The binding key is when we bind somebody to their sin because they're unrepentant. They are embracing their sin. They love their sin more than they love God. In other words, we lock the gates of heaven and we unlock the gates of hell and tell them, so long as you're letting this sin be your God, that's where you're going. We officially do that as a visible congregation through a called worker who is called to do that. We usually do that today from the pastor. But it's the priests of the church, the members, who say, yes, as a group, we see this is necessary. If they don't see it's necessary, then they don't do it. When you proclaim the law to people, showing them that they need a Savior, you're using the binding key. And when you proclaim the good news of forgiveness in Christ, you are using the loosing key, for you are splattering the blood of Christ upon them. There's another sacrifice you give, and you may not even realize it. Priests didn't just function in the temple with the sacrifices and the blood. They also proclaimed the scriptures. In fact, if you lived in a town that was not Jerusalem, they would send a priest out who often, instead of reading, had memorized books of the Bible, and he would give those on the Sabbath day. You come to hear the word of God where your connection with the living stone is strengthened because you're still alive. It keeps you alive. It nurses you. And then you share that word of God with others as your messenger. So you learn the scriptures and you teach the scriptures, you proclaim them, you serve with your time, your talents, and your treasures. All these you do as priests. And when you tell somebody that Christ has forgiven their sin, it's as good as if Christ himself spoke it. For you have locked the gates of hell and unlocked the gates of heaven and removed their sin because Christ's blood has been poured upon them by your telling them that their sins are forgiven. And so we see how those binding keys are and we see that Christ is the chief foundation stone. God has made you, all of you, all believers, starting with Adam and Eve, and the building project continues until the last person comes to faith right before Christ returns for the final judgment. So God has made all of you into his temple and priesthood. You are living stones on the living stone, the foundation stone, the chief cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. And because of him, through him, you are priests through the high priest who get the privilege of bringing others into the light of Christ, showing them the mercy of God that God used others to show to you. Amen. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood and made us a kingdom and priest to God his Father, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord God, our strength, our song, and our salvation, you fulfilled your promises by the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. Thanks be to God, you give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In your compassion, you sent Christ the Good Shepherd, who laid down his life to rescue the lost. Drive out all doubt and gloom that we may delight in your glorious triumph. 
Lift our eyes heavenward to see him who lives to make intercession for the saints and grant us confidence in the greatness of his power. Keep before us the vision of your redeemed people standing before your throne and singing the song of victory. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive wisdom and power and honor and glory and praise. Make us instruments of your peace as we bring the good news of hope and new life to those around us. Guide us in the use of all that you have entrusted to us, our time, our talents, and our treasures. Risen Lord, live in us that we may live for you. Merciful Lord Jesus, grant healing to the sick and strengthen the faith of the suffering and the dying. Assure them of your abiding presence and comfort them with the hope of eternal life. Gracious Lord, as we celebrate motherhood today, we thank you for Christian women who, through the blood of the Lamb, fulfill their vocations as you intended. We pray that you give them also the husbands that are Christian fathers that fulfill the example you have set and the vocation you have given to them. The institution of motherhood is under attack as is fatherhood by our society wanting to twist and warp what you defined as a family. And we especially tell women today that it's not glorious to be mothers but to make their careers above their families. We pray that you be with Christian mothers who struggle under those thoughts. We pray that you encourage them, but we especially pray that you strengthen them to show motherly love to their children, but especially Christian motherly love that points them to Christ and to give them those husbands that will also bring the children up with an example of you, the Heavenly Father, by giving them Christian fatherly love. Lord, as the COVID-19 virus continues to be in our news and ever before our eyes, we pray that you protect us and in your good timing, put this virus into remission. We ask you, Heavenly Father, to reopen our economy and to help those who are suffering financially because of this, restore to them their jobs and their incomes. In your Son's name we pray. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Gracious Father, you have restored to us the joy of your salvation. With happy hearts we come before you and say, Alleluia. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.